Hi friends, thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. City Church San Francisco aspires to be an inclusive community of Jesus followers seeking the good of the city. We are rooted in Christian faith that values curiosity and the ongoing guidance of the Spirit as we make room for everyone to belong. To that end, we welcome all persons into our community, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, age, physical or mental capacity, education, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, and socioeconomic or marital status. After taking stock of the Bible's wisdom in times of distress throughout the fall, we now start a new liturgical year with the dream of Advent, the space and time to set aside to remember that God is with us. This Advent, we invite you to join us in dreaming as an act of hope, an act of resistance, and an act of faith. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast. And we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. You can support the ongoing work of City Church by joining in our Giving Tuesday campaign, launching on December 1st. Follow us online at City Church SF for all the info on our Giving Tuesday and end of the year fundraising campaign. The scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah and the Gospel of Luke. A reading from Isaiah, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And now a reading from Luke chapter one. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy 
according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us however we may find ourselves right now in this Sunday before Christmas in this unique time that we are in. I pray that you would help us to understand and believe and may more fully wake up to the reality of your love for us, of your presence with us always, of your knowing that you know everything about us, the good, the bad, and the otherwise, and your response is always to love, always to heal, always to restore, always to pursue. So give us grace today to believe that and help us to believe that you have arranged for this moment. And so give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The text popped up on my phone. Hey, Fred. I hope it's okay, but I gave your number to my fiance. He's in a bit of a crisis and can use a pastor's voice if you have a few minutes. Not an unusual text for me to get. Sure, I replied. A few minutes later, the phone rang. And what followed was his thoughts, his description of being afraid to go outside, feeling paralyzed by anxiety, um, obsessive thoughts swirling in his head, inability to function, So for 30 minutes or so, we talked about anxiety and depression and what next steps he might take to find a way through to leveling out. But the first words out of my mouth were some of the most important words that I think a pastor can say. You are not alone. You are not alone. And then I told him that many suffer from depression and anxiety, including myself. And what you are describing, I said to him, is very similar to what I felt before and what I've heard so many others talk about. And then I told him, you're not alone. His response to that was, thank you, I needed to hear that. I thought I was losing my mind. The power of being seen, of being understood, even in the smallest degree, can literally save a life. Now, our gospel story today is part of what is called the visitation. It follows on the story of what is called the Annunciation. That's when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she would conceive the Messiah in her womb. She replied, Mary, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel told her that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and then added the news that her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, She who had been barren was actually six months pregnant. And that extra news is what sets up our story for today. So this week and next, we're going to be exploring the visitation. Today, we're going to emphasize Mary's Magnificat. But we have to see it in the context of her visit with Elizabeth. You know, I think we've got some pretty romanticized notions about Mary. For example, this picture. Mary, kind of with this beautiful, pious picture of health, not to mention white European, hello, 
um, you know, it's just not really accurate. I think if we think of who she really is, this picture is actually a lot more realistic. She's a poor, young Jewish girl around 14, part of an oppressed religious and political minority at the edge of the Roman Empire. Diana Butler Bass put it this way, think of her in rags, rough sandals, unwashed, exhausted from toil, even at this young age. Her only hope is to marry someone decent enough that she might have a room for her own family and there might be food to feed them all and to worship their God in peace. The closest historical parallel that most Americans can imagine is the life of a 19th century enslaved black girl. Now, the angel Gabriel really only informed Mary about Elizabeth. The angel didn't tell her to go visit Elizabeth. That was actually Mary's decision, her action. In the verses preceding the Magnificat that we will look at more in depth next week, it says that Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. The angel, I believe, was giving Mary this message. You are not alone. Because this teenage girl had just been told, hey, so uh, you're pregnant? God is in your belly, and it's going to change the world. And all Mary could be thinking at this moment is, I am alone, and no one will ever understand this. Wouldn't be surprised if she was internally freaking out. So I love that the angel just lets her know that someone else in her family, who is also a little freakishly pregnant, is out there. Elizabeth was also conceived a weird Holy Spirit baby, not exactly the same as Mary's, but close enough. And it's such a tender scene when, they, when she arrives, these two women in their exquisite embrace, pregnant with the message in the messenger. It's a story of breathtaking female solidarity. Elizabeth receives Mary and says, As soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. Hmm. And at that moment, you could say, perhaps, that there were only two Christians in the whole world, Mary and Elizabeth. They greet each other. They confess their faith. Elizabeth was the first to call Jesus Lord then John the Baptist does what might be the first liturgical dance as he leaps in her womb. So Mary knows something after this visit. She knows that she is not alone. And that is powerful. You know, just as an aside, I want to say that our pastoral care, our counseling center, is essentially based on this human reality. You're not alone. Recently, I received this DM in my Twitter account from a person who follows me that I've never met. They said, I'd like to visit City Church soon. I was well treated at the counseling center when going through a divorce. 
The, the support I received there, I believe, saved my life. Friends, I want to tell you something. When I tell you that our ministry is saving lives, I'm not exaggerating. The daily pastoral ministry of this church, most of it done behind the scenes, is a life-saving ministry that happens on a regular basis. You are giving to what is called the general fund. It may not sound like you're giving to a big initiative, but you are. An initiative so big that lives are being changed and saved in all sorts of ways. When you support the work of this church with your finances, you are literally involved in changing and saving lives, just as perhaps Elizabeth, in some way, is saving Mary's life by receiving her with joy. Never underestimate the power of being received with joy and creating spaces that enables everyone to be received with joy. The healing, the renewal, the restoration, the hope that is born in Mary is born in every person who is received with joy. And Mary's response, and it is a response, the Magnificat doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mary is with Elizabeth. She has validation. She has comfort. She has seen. So she sings. And boy, does she ever. Whew. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. That's what Mary sings. My soul magnifies the Lord. Think about what she is saying. Her soul magnifies the Lord. She sings that God made her great with child, and so she magnifies God right back. That's daring talk. As if a girl could increase God's greatness. Who does she think she is? Well, she's been empowered by her obedience to God. She says, all generations will bless me. Yes, yes, we will, world without end, because of what God has done in her. You are made greater when you make God great. I don't mean the greatness of wealth or reputation. I mean the capacity of your soul. How much God asks of you and how much you gain by what God asks of you. You are magnified when you magnify God. Now, people love this first part of her song. It's very popular. I mean, I would say even especially those who maybe are not poor or not hungry or not oppressed, because frankly, this keeps Mary in a very tidy, obedient box. And this is how I was raised to view Mary. But the Magnificat goes on. And it gives us, therefore, another vision of Mary altogether. This vision. Look at this picture as I read the second half of the Magnificat. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, the artist who created this woodcut, Ben Wildflower, explains, By singing these words, there was an admission that the words of Scripture really do call us to economic justice. This is why I put her fist in the air. There are enough images out there focusing on the lowliness and meekness of Mary. I wanted to make one that highlights her holy rage and her indictment of an economic system built on idolatrous ideas about what kind of people do or don't deserve things like food and shelter. I like that, Mary. You know, I found uh, in my research this week that when the King James Version was created, the British crown replaced the word thrones with seats. Author and activist Danielle Mayfield, who also happens to be a Newbigin House of Studies alumna, wrote in an article for the Washington Post, This portion of the Magnificat and its radical message has been edited out repeatedly in history because it is seen as dangerous by people in power. Some countries, such as India, Guatemala, and Argentina, have outright banned the Magnificat from being recited in liturgy or in public. And it's because they were listening closely. <laughs> and what they heard is what Episcopal priest and writer Broderick Greer calls an anthem of liberation that envisions an Israel free of Roman occupation, as well as God's promise of liberation. Broderick Greer provocatively goes further in states, In Mary's words, we see a God who is setting the world right. When we see Mary's song, questions arise about how Jesus was brought up. Questions around what might have been whispered into Jesus' ear by his mother, the revolutionary, the rebel. We are led to wonder whether Joseph received his proclivity for risk from Mary. We are led to wonder whether Jesus inherited his rebellious nature from Mary. We are led to wonder whether Mary's rebel anthem moonlighted as Jesus' lullaby. Hmm. When Jesus grows up and preaches, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry in the Sermon on the Plain later in the book of Luke. I'm sure there were a few in the crowd who had stood there shaking their heads thinking, well, that apple didn't fall far from the tree. Or as Erna Hackett wrote, Mary is not a passive vessel, but a partner with God, a theologian and a significant influence in the formation of Jesus. The late author Rachel Held Evans put it like this. With the Magnificat, Mary not only announces a birth, she announces the inauguration of a new kingdom, one that stands in stark contrast to every other kingdom, past, present, and future, that relies on violence and exploitation to achieve greatness. With the Magnificat, Mary declares that God has indeed chosen sides, and it's not with the powerful but the humble. It's not with the rich but with the poor. It's not with the occupying force but with people on the margins. It's not with narcissistic kings, but with an unwed, 
unbelieved teenage girl entrusted with the holy task of birthing, nursing, and nurturing God. This is the stunning claim of the Incarnation. God has made a home among the very people the world casts aside, and in her defiant prayer, Mary, a dark-skinned woman, a refugee, a religious minority in an occupied land, names this reality. Friends, if we sing the Magnificat, we cannot really remain comfortable. We cannot ignore the poor, the hungry, the immigrant, and at the same time sing, he has lifted up the lowly, he has filled the hungry with good things. We cannot allow our faith to be diminished by the temptation of nationalism and seeing at the same time he has brought down the powerful from their thrones. Because as Rachel said, she, he, she announces the inauguration of a new kingdom, one that stands in stark contrast to every other kingdom, past, present, and future, that relies on violence and exploitation to achieve greatness. So Mary's Magnificat is the longest set of words spoken by a woman in the New Testament and a poor, young, unmarried, pregnant woman at that. And it could have gotten her killed because she identifies God's solidarity with the poor and hungry and oppressed. Dietrich Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor who was executed by the Nazis, called the Magnificat the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary hymn ever sung. Howard Thurman in his book, Deep River and the Negro Spiritual Speaks of Life and Death, points out how American slaveholders withheld intentionally those parts of Christian faith that show God's preferential option for the poor and oppressed. He wrote, Concerning the birth of Jesus, very little appeal was made to the imagination of the slave because it was not felt wise to teach him the significance of this event to the poor and the captive. It was dangerous to let the slave understand that the life and teachings of Jesus meant freedom for the captive and release for those held in economic, social, and political bondage. In fact, American slaveholders also produced a redacted Bible altogether to give to their slaves, taking out 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. The Magnificat, as you might imagine, didn't make the cut. The Magnificat tells us that the gospel is truly good news for the poor, good news for those who continue to be crushed in a world that thrives on exploitation and injustice, good news for those needing liberation. Her song is a sermon that tells us that mercy overcomes injustice. Humility replaces hubris. Rulers are cast down, the poor raised. There is food enough for all and the rich will be judged for what they have done to women like Elizabeth and Mary, to all such women and men through history. And I would say the Magnificat is also really good news, not just for the poor, but for everyone, even those who are well-fed or rich or in a position of power and might and benefit from systems that oppress others, people like me. We have our marching orders 
to use our position and privilege to lift up the poor, to center their voices, to learn how oppression works, and to learn from those on the margins and to find that God has been there all along. So the Magnificat is a huge challenge to get about this business, to take up the priorities of Mary's baby Jesus. And when we do, we'll find out that maybe the wealthy are sent away empty because it made us numb to our need of God. It tricked us into thinking that we're self-sufficient. Because it is our hunger which God feeds, not our fullness. As Henry Nouwen has said, the rich are poor too in different ways. Jesus comes to liberate us from our life attached to wealth, power, and prestige, so that at the end of our days, we are not sent away empty. Mary's Magnificat presses comfortable people like me to interrogate whether my privilege has rendered me unable to hope and thus receive divine promise. Courageous Mary, challenging all of us today. Courageous Mary, who got the help she needed. Courageous Mary, empowered by her obedience to magnify the greatness of God. Courageous Mary, whose boldness was passed down to her son to reveal the loving heart of God and show us a new way of being in the world. Courageous Mary, who proclaimed that her story and God's story were one that God's dream of liberation and salvation was her story. Best sermon ever. Those who dream sow joy and justice in this world. You know, in our theological tradition, we don't pray directly to Mary. You may come from a tradition that does, that's fine. But can't you see why the vast majority of Christians in human history have prayed directly to Mary? If I ever do take up the practice of praying to someone other than the God revealed in Jesus, I think it would be her. So let's pray to Jesus and ask Jesus to give us the courage of Mary, that we might be agents of God's joy and justice in this world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that Mary's response to Elizabeth and to the angel Gabriel and to all that you were doing is in some ways the definitive yes to you. Help us to say yes to you, that we might be agents that sow joy and justice of your rule and reign in this world. Give us grace, we pray, to be about the priorities of the baby whose birth we celebrate here during this season and help our church, our community, to continue to be a conduit of your mercy and grace and love in this city and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.